In the scrubby southeastern corner of Utah, a pair of buttes with rock-tufted tips perk up from the land like the ears of a curious cub. This is Bears Ears National Monument, an archaeological bonanza and a hub of indigenous culture. For thousands of years, the region has served as the sacred cultural, medicinal, and spiritual core of five Native American tribes. This archaeological wonderland boasts the nation's largest collection of historical artifacts. Cached away under the mesa's rickety rock shelves are the remains of ancient indigenous abodes and oodles of fossils dating back hundreds of millions of years. The cliffs are laced with elaborate petroglyphs left by long-ago Pueblo peoples. Even today, the Navajo and Ute tribes rely on the land for medicinal use and spiritual sustenance. Certain sacred plants are endemic to the region, meaning they are found nowhere else in the world. A grisly battle over bear's ears has raged on since 2016, when President Obama declared the land a national monument. The debate over this designation is a polarizing one. A five-year tug-of-war over the region sparks questions about land usage, conservation, and the the precarious balance between citizen freedom, government authority, and corporate jurisdiction over slices of public land. Pulsing at the core of the tension is a push for tribal sovereignty and the reclamation of stolen earth. The signs of human life in bear's ears can be traced back to the ancient Puebloan people 13,000 years ago who sought shelter in the region's secluded cliff dwellings. A testament to the sacred nature of this secluded swath of earth, bear's ears repeatedly serves as a sanctuary for native resistance across vastly different historical contexts throughout the centuries. The cloistered cliffs protected the ancient Puebloan peoples from hostile intruders. In the 1860s, the U.S. cavalry drove 10,000 fiercely resistant Navajo residents from their homes by foot in a tragedy dubbed the Long Walk. However, six centuries after the ancient Puebloans, Bears Ears once again served as a crucial fort and refuge for the Navajo people in this instance. The jagged terrain thwarted the U.S. soldiers, and the looming bluffs concealed the native freedom seekers from their pursuers. The first conflicts between indigenous Bears Ears residents and Anglo settlers ensued in the 1800s as well. Mormon ranchers jockeyed over native-owned land. In the wake of the indigenous exodus, they established roots in the sacred region. These farmers revered the Bears Ears site for many of the same reasons that their native neighbors did. Despite the fact that the Navajo and Mormon peoples forged spiritual ties with common landmarks, the two groups continued to clash. Current-day descendants of these first settlers and indigenous residents alike fear that their bonds with Bears Ears will be severed and their way of life lost if the land management pendulum swings in the opposite direction. Indigenous people are determined to have a say in the conservation and management of their tribal land. At its crux, this is an issue of tribal sovereignty, complicated by indigenous people's precedented mistrust in the federal government. Here is an opportunity for Native Americans to reclaim and protect this sacred region. But the question is, how does the government factor into that equation? In the 1930s and 1960s, fury around the looting of sacred Bears Ears sites, as well as the threat of mining companies thirsty for uranium, oil, and gas, spurred deliberation about making this region a national monument. This designation would enable the federal government to regulate land usage and tourism, as well as protect the historical artifacts. 
In 2016, the push to transform Bears Ears into a monument had a resurgence, and this time, Native Americans were at the forefront. The movement, led by the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition, helped unite the five tribes involved. They share the sacred land, but not without tension. This was also an opportunity for indigenous people to be a part of the conversation surrounding land conservation and management. It was a revolutionary chance for natives to work in tandem with the federal government to develop policies in the best interest of native inhabitants. This monumental label would add an extra layer of protection to the cherished region beyond the often overstepped tribal boundaries. The threat of federally enforced laws promised to deter pillagers and miners. Another piece of the puzzle is how to satisfy the diverse groups of people with deep connections to the same piece of land, but different opinions on how to conserve it. The campaign to recognize this public wedge of earth as a national monument faced fierce opposition from Native Americans and Bears Ears ranchers alike. And a common thread on both sides of the battle is a distrust for the federal government. Ranchers and drilling companies argued that the Bureaucracy was overstepping their boundaries and infringing upon citizen independence by regulating public land usage in Bears Ears. The descendants of Anglo cattlemen feared that their livelihoods and connections to the land would be drowned by a flurry of federal legislation. Some accuse environmental agencies who support the monument of monopolizing the land and the native voice as part of a corrupt political agenda. Mistrust of the government also manifested on the indigenous side. While in the minority, the natives who also disapproved of the efforts to brand the land as a national monument were outspoken and passionate. The government had historically failed to cover basic needs, such as food and electricity, for indigenous people who lived on Bears Ears reservations. How could the government be trusted to protect the sacred land itself? Who was to say that the government agenda was in the best interest of the native inhabitants? What if the reservations are further neglected in the shadow of the shiny new national monument? These protesters argue that locals know best how to take care of the land. They fear that the monument will spawn a destructive tourism economy. Federal action might protect the land from private mining and industrialization, but what about the threat of public visitation? Many nationally recognized recreational sites are overrun with visitors and pollution today. People on all sides worry that federal intervention will take power out of the hands of San Juan County's local citizens. In 2017, the Trump administration sheared down Bears Ears National Monument by 85% and offered the land up for mining and drilling. For the intertribal coalition, this felt like a repeat of history. Once again, the government stole land from its rightful owners. I'm Morgan Hubbard. I'm in ninth grade. Uh, yeah. So Bears Ears National Monument in Southeast Utah is an archaeological paradise and the spiritual hub for five indigenous tribes. In 2016, former President Barack Obama declared the land a federally protected national monument, a victory for the Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition, who sought government-backed support for their sacred region. In 2017, Donald Trump sheared the monument down by 85% and opened the land up for mining and drilling. Finally, in October of 2021, President Biden restored the land. Some indigenous locals understandably distrust the U.S. government and worry about the potential commercialization of the region. 
Others fear that the Bears Ears reservations will be neglected funding and support in the shadow of the new monument. Um, so were you familiar with the controversy over Bears Ears? Um, I had heard here and there, and I wasn't completely too familiar. I hadn't really, like, educated myself on the topic, but I heard about the thing that happened with President Biden. President Biden. Yeah. I mean, can you just share your thoughts and the emotions that came with learning about it? Um, honestly, it's, like, it's really, like, it's not surprising, because stuff like this has happened and for a while people of color have asked for reparations when it comes to so many uh disadvantages and sort of i guess betrayal that has happened um in america so i'm not surprised at all with um what president trump did and i feel like what president biden um is doing right now is really really good but it's um, really hard, honestly, for these people after that happening to trust and understand that the government's actually working for them and not just working to make money, which is what a lot of their decisions made are for, making yeah. money. Yeah, and in the past, the government has obviously not been trustworthy in terms of Native Americans. Yeah. Um, and then, so this, as you know, this was a polarizing debate, and I mean, what do you think about the fact that the Bears Ears region is kind of being wielded as a political tool? Um, again, I'm not really surprised. It's like almost everything the government does is kind of in a way to, I guess, make themselves like look good. And I feel like that it has been the main intent, just making money and also making themselves look good. So it covers up the fact that everything they do is just for making money. So I'm honestly just not surprised that it's being used as a political tool and being used, I guess, to like make it seem like what they're doing is actually really good. And like, it's not bad. Like, I'm not saying that it's a terrible thing. It's just, it's not gonna fix everything. And I feel like that awareness that it's not going to fix everything and there's so much more that needs to be done is so important. Yeah. Um, and then can you just talk a little bit about your indigenous heritage and, like, do you feel a strong connection with it? Uh, I'm a part of the Choctaw tribe in Oklahoma. I have blood on my mom and my dad's side. Honestly, I really don't feel connected to it. Like, I know... I have the blood, I know it's there, and I understand that it's a part of my heritage and it's a part of my culture, but it's almost impossible to feel connected to it when all that's ever happened to Native American land is, it has been taken, and all just the Native American, I guess, history in the U.S. is just genocide, and it's just exploitation. So it's really hard to actually feel connected to it when any sort of Native American voice has always been repressed, and any sort of Native American culture has also been repressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that um, recently in Oklahoma there was like a big victory for indigenous sovereignty because a lot of land was returned back to the tribes there. Um, were any of your relatives, past or present, affected by government policies that robbed them of land or helped by the returning of land? I haven't heard too much about it, so I'm not completely sure, but then again, it was a while ago, and, I, and I'm and i not too, too connected to it, um, but I mean, I know, like, some people have had to deal with that, and that, like, a lot of people have had to deal with that, 
and it's just like it's not it, again it's, like as I said before it's not surprising but it's like terrible yeah is there anything else that you'd like to add uh no I think that's it awesome thank you all right okay. The Bears Ears Intertribal Coalition has made it clear that they want to work with the government and the ranchers to share the land and create cooperative land management policies. The indigenous tribes seek to integrate a tool called traditional ecological knowledge with the government and forest service approach to the conservation of Bears Ears. Traditional ecological knowledge is indigenous people's wisdom, cultural beliefs, and stewardship of the natural world forged over centuries of close bonds with their native ecosystem. Traditional ecological knowledge can function in a symbiotic relationship with what is known as Western science. In fact, weaving together these two schools of thought is not only a tool for decolonization, but also a practical means of fighting climate change. The country's first indigenous-directed national monument, Bears Ears, faces battles on multiple fronts. On the human side, the monument grapples with the looting of precious artifacts, as well as the debates over land conservation and mining policies. However, climate change also poses a tremendous threat to Bears Ears. Scientists estimate that by 2050, average winter temperatures in southeastern Utah will rise by 3 degrees Fahrenheit. The land is hemmed by the Colorado River, a crucial water source for more than 40 million people. However, with warming air temperatures and altered precipitation patterns, this water supply is expected to diminish by 20 to 30 percent by 2050. Utah is in the midst of what scientists dubbed a mega drought, or a dry spell of historically unparalleled magnitude and length. Due to the ripple effects of past government policies, Native Americans are disproportionately impacted by climate change and especially low water availability. That's why groups like the Intertribal Coalition are employing their tribal sovereignty, which allows them to institute their own laws separate from the federal government, which comes in handy for climate change policy. Bears Ears National Monument is a uniting force, a sacred intersection of cultures and traditions, a junction of past and present. This treasure trove of hallowed history has been the site of indigenous resistance, autonomy, and cultural reclamation for thousands of years, and hopefully thousands more. It's time for us to open our ears and bear the responsibility for the sacred Bears Ears National Monument. Thanks for listening.